Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles, actually don't turn in your Bibles, I didn't even write my scripture reference down here. This is from Proverbs, I believe it's 20, verse 6, if I go by memory here. How did I forget to write that down? <clears throat> it says, this is from the contemporary English version, I'm going to read several versions of that verse, it's Proverbs 26, I believe. 20 verse 6. It says, There are many who say, You can trust me. But can they be trusted? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and uh, speak your word, not mine, Lord. Speak through me, Lord, and give us ears to hear. In your name we pray. Lord Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Title of my message is Semper S E M P E R Fi F I. How many know what that means? What means? How many know? It's a Latin model that means Semper Fidelis is the actual Latin model, and it means always faithful. So the title of my sermon is Semper Fi, always faithful, always faithful. It's a model of the Marine Corps. And so uh, there's no good Marine out there that doesn't know that phrase, uh, always faithful. And uh, they live by it, which means they'll march to the ends of the earth uh, when they live by that motto. And whatever the mission is, uh, we're going to give life and limb literally to accomplish that goal of us always being faithful um, to our goal of accomplishing this mission, this mission uh, is bigger than myself, and we're going to accomplish this mission. Um, was that scripture in uh, Proverbs 26, is that right? Yes. 20 verse 6, okay. Um, the New International Version, it says, Many claim that they have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Uh, New Living Translation of the same verse, Many will say that they are a loyal friend, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Many a man, this is from the English Standard Version, many a man proclaims he has steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. The Bereans translation, many a man proclaims his loving devotion, but who can find a trustworthy man? Um, King James Version, most men will proclaim to everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Always Faithful. Title of the message. Um, in fact, my title almost was From Faith to Faithful. From Faith to Faithful. How many know there's a difference between having faith and being faithful? Amen. Having faith means I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I trust Him. But then there's this transition that has to occur where I go from having faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for me to me being faithful to Him because I know what He's done for me. How many know there's a transition from being... Just because you have faith doesn't mean you're being faithful. How many know that? He's been faithful. But the question is, am I responding and being faithful to the call? He said, um, if you give your life... He said, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. He said, but if you give your life, 
you'll find eternal life. And so Jesus is not only asking for, hey, have faith in me. He's saying, lay your life down because of your faith and become a faithful person. But then Proverbs says, boy, they're hard to find. It's hard to find who can find a faithful person. Who can find the one that's went from faith in God to being faithful to the call that God has on their life? To God. And so the Bible even goes further. Um, in fact, um, in Second Chronicles 16, 7-10, it says, And at that time, Hanani, the seer, which was a prophet, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Um, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army and very many chariots and horsemen, yet they, because you relied on the Lord, the Lord delivered them into your hand. Now this is an odd place to put this next verse. This king had been unfaithful. He didn't trust God. He had trusted God and everything else in his life. But now he stopped trusting God and he did not trust God when he was fighting the Syrians. Yet God had delivered him from many other enemies. And this is a scripture that we know, most of us know this scripture, but where it's at is very curious. It says, but the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Like God is saying in the midst of this king who wouldn't trust him and be faithful, he said, but, and it's almost like it does, it's not even connected, right? He says, you didn't trust me, you should have trusted him. And he said, because the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong. God wants to show himself strong and his eyes are searching. What's he searching for? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the prophet and took him to prison for he was enraged at him. Do you see God is looking all over the earth trying to find somebody who is faithful. Asa was faithful at one time. And he says, you weren't faithful, you didn't listen, you weren't loyal to me, but I am actually looking all over the earth for somebody who will be faithful because I want to show myself strong and he wants to bless that person. How many see that? God wants to show himself strong. He wants to bless the person that will stand up and will be faithful to him and trust him and be faithful back to him. Not just having faith, but he wants us to move to being full of faith. Full of faith. And what does that mean? Full of faith. Here's the definition I put down. Showing true and constant support or loyalty. That means you deserve trust and you keep your promises and you do what you're supposed to do. For God, loyal. And that means you're faithful in everything. And I've just, how many, how many, um, how many are analytical when you just study people sometimes? 
And, and I, I consider myself one of those people. I always study behaviorisms and just people. And I go into a room and I, I kind of notice behaviorisms, you know. And, and I don't know if it's a background thing or a personality thing or what it is. But I've just noticed personalities and reactions. And, and I've noticed in the area of faithfulness... How many of you know there are some people that are faithful in season and out? I mean, you call them, and I'm talking about the work of the Lord right now, but there's faithfulness in, in many areas of life. How many of you know at work there's faithfulness? And you're like, man, you know what? When we're at work, you can count on, and you can go through the room and like, that one, that one, that one. And everybody knows there's ones that you just can't count on. Right? Every area of life, you can see that. You know, if you're a coach, you can see. I can count on that person. I can't count on these people. Sometimes I can count on those people. And so, in church, why would it be different? And so I've noticed there are some that you just can't count on. And that's what this message is about, to be the type of people... Um, in fact, the Bible says in Proverbs that we're not good evaluators of our faithfulness. Notice it said that uh, many men proclaim they're faithful, but who can find one? I mean, we're not good at recognizing whether we're faithful. In fact, we have to evaluate that all the time. Are, am I a faithful person that people at work can count on? Can my family count on me? I mean, oh, that's important. Big deal. Can my family count on me? Can people work count on me? Can people at church count on me? Am I faithful? Am I full of faith? Am I one that people can count on? And it says we're not a good evaluator of it. So we need to always be asking ourselves, am I that person? And it, when God looks to and fro, I mean, scanning the earth, is he? am I one that he looks at and says... I can count on that one. I want to show myself strong through that person. He's loyal to me or she's loyal to me. And that's what this message is about is trying to evaluate. I mean, oh, when we evaluate that, sometimes we have a hard time, you know, because one thing we might do is justify ourselves. Well, man, I would be more faithful if, if Chad did this at church or if, you know, another leader did that, you know, and I'm just not going to be faithful and I'm not going to do this or that because I'm not going to do that for that person or this person or or you know sometimes it could be defensiveness and pride and just say well I'm as faithful as next person or I've got good reason not to be or you know or you could say well yeah I'm really really faithful the most faithful of all (laughs) you know and 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 we don't really truly critique ourselves and that's why Proverbs says you know we we don't always know whether we are or not so we've got to think about those things. Um, <clears throat> Paul is an interesting person. Paul wrote, um, in fact, listen to this, he says in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I mean, you know that Paul was a faithful person. In fact, he's acknowledging it at the end of his life that I have fought the fight, I've ran the race. And um, as you begin to look at 
Paul's life, you begin to see that he had good reason to say that. Because Paul, look at all the things he had been through. Okay, there were times that they literally uh, thought they had murdered him. You know, they hit him with large stones and left him for dead and assumed he was dead. And then somehow he survived. You know, there are many times he took beatings. Uh, there were many times he was betrayed. There were many times that he was um, mistreated. Um, there were lots of times they looked down upon him. Lots of times they, um, I mean, just everything you could possibly do to a person, Paul was very resilient and always overcame it and always remained faithful uh, to Christ and his call no matter what he went through. And so Paul is a great example of faithfulness no matter what. He is the... Um, he is the great example of always faithful, Semper Fidelis, right? He's one that stayed faithful through it all. And as we begin to look through the Bible, this is a character trait that we see exemplified all the way through. You know, whether you're looking at Abraham or you're looking at Joseph or you're looking at Daniel or you're looking at Paul, uh, obviously when you look at Christ and his mission for us, you know, he is the great standard of what it means to be always faithful. And so it is a definitely a characteristic we all need to have. And so why would I, why would I preach on this subject now? Because I believe that we're going into a period of time that's going to demand it. You know, that if we don't dig deeper and say to ourselves, you know what? I want to be the type of person that is always faithful, that is always to be counted on, to always be ready to be faithful at all times. Just like that Marine in the flesh, right, who's always ready. How would it be to have Christians that are always ready to fulfill the mission? No matter what it takes to fulfill the mission that Christ has for the church. And you say, well, man, we're like spiritual Marines, Church, we need to examine ourselves. And I'm being as serious as I can be, and I'm as, um, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I, you know, I, um, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? I'm going to be really brutally honest, okay? For 25 years, almost 30 probably, I don't even know the amount of time, I don't sit and calculate it. I've given everything I have for the vision of Christ. Literally, I have no money left. Okay, 100%. You can't outgive what I give because I've given everything that I have, okay? My time, for 25 years I know, I'm still up till 3 or 4 in the morning studying the Bible and studying the Word and writing down visions, writing down dreams, trying to accomplish the goals that Christ has for the world that's around me. And I'm just being... Honest. Honest as I can possibly be, I don't have anything left. And frankly, I get tired, very tired of the complaints and the whining and the softness of the Christian church. Because I'm always looking with God, and you say, well, you're putting yourself, I'm putting myself in this place, okay? I'm looking to and fro for faithful people, and I can't find them very much. I can't hardly find it. 
Chad, it would be awesome if we had a youth ministry, or it would be awesome if we greeted people at the doors and people felt welcome. It would be awesome if we had this or if we had that or if we had this. And I'm saying, get off your butt and be simplify. Be always faithful. Chad, it would be awesome if the church did this or the church did that or the church had revival. And God is saying, be always faithful. Have a dream. Have a vision. Show up at church every week for 25 years, okay? There are weeks, many, many, many weeks. My wife will tell you I worked 100 plus weeks. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't miss church. Guess what I didn't do? I was still involved in church. I still was trying to fulfill the vision. And you say, what's the big deal? Because every time God puts a dream on a leader's heart, he looks around and nobody's there. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to donate half the time. Nobody wants to put their time into it half the time. And God's saying, there's a world around you that's dying. And then you have those that say, well, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. You know, I believe in home groups. I don't believe in churches. I don't believe in being faithful to a church. I don't believe in digging in and planting in a church. Oh, and by the way, if you offend me, or you say something the wrong way, or you look at me the wrong way, or you walk in a bad mood one day, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Now church, what are we going to do? How are we ever going to fulfill a mission when the church is not simplified, when the church is not faithful? Faithful, I'm talking about full of faith. When God says he can't see anybody faithful and he looks to and fro all over the earth, he means he's seeing faithlessness. And you say, well, Chad, we worship with the best of them. Oh, we're giving it all, Lord God. We're sacrificing all of it, Lord. All of it, Lord. But are we? What is? What must God think when we say we're sacrificing all and we're not there being faithful, sacrificing all? Church, have you ever thought through the process? You know, I have dreams of reaching the community. Like, I don't spend my time, like yesterday, spending time to build out a room in the middle of a basement that has no electricity in it, right? We're trying to clean it up, make it beautiful, trying to build a room and put video games in it. Now, why do I want a room with video games in it? Why do I care? I don't play video games. I don't like video games. I don't waste my time with video games. But you know what I do like? I like thousands of kids in that community that are lost. And you say, well, man, we need a revival. Can I tell you something? That cry that you have for revival sometimes is laziness. Because if God will do it and he'll zap the community, we'll have revival. Because we don't want to do the hard work of putting my money and my time into buying the things we need to reach the community and build relationships. How many of you know we've got to build relationships if we ever want to win somebody to the Lord? And then I get people that say, well, Chad, why are you spending so much time building a building out? Why are you spending so much time trying to do these things to reach a community? Because they have to be done. You know, there are Christians that think, man, all you do is go out and start yelling at people about sin and they come in. No, I've been in this war. Okay, there are people, let me, let me give you an example. There are people that think boxing is just running into a ring and swinging wildly. 
You know, there are people that think that. I used to have a set of boxing gloves. I trained for years in boxing. I had a set of boxing gloves. Normal people, they would set three, four, five people up in a day to box with me. And you know how many people came to me swinging wildly? Because they thought boxing was just swing wildly. And that's what, that's why they started tough man contests, by the way. Because people think that's how you box and how you fight. And how many know what happens, how this ends? If you're not skilled at it and don't know what you're doing, thank you. If you're not skilled and don't know what you're doing, you're going to get knocked out really quick. In fact, personally knocked many of them out really quick if I didn't want to toy with them for a little while. And sometimes in church we have that mentality. We think, man, if we just go out and God's going to zap us with revival and it's all going to happen, they're all going to flood in. Church, we got to start thinking that process through. How are we going to disciple them? How are we going to build relationships with them? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to minister to even the ones that are in the house? We think we just go out and start swinging and all of a sudden we got revival. There is hard work that has to be done. It can't be done alone. It can't be done with just your family. It's got to be done with the whole church and it can't just be done with our church. It's got to be all over this community, and it's hard work. And the only way we're going to do it is to always be faithfully working on it. And I'm passionate. I'm, 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 I'm not apologizing for being passionate. Because I can't tell you how many people are saying, Chad, look at the world around us, we need to do something, and yet they're still sitting at home. They're still sitting on the sidelines. They're still telling me what the problem is. As if I'm the source of the problem or as if I can do something on my own. And church, we have got to get serious about the world around us. And we've got to be the type of people that are ready to solve problems. And you say, man, it would be nice if we had a children's ministry that could reach out to the community and reach children. I agree, but do you know how much work that is? Do you know how difficult that is to do without people who are always faithful? Youth ministry. I've been in youth ministry. I am a man of war when it comes to youth ministry. I would walk in every week with hundreds of teenagers and I would have a open up in prayer and I would say, Hey, I know you can't tell anybody else, but whisper in my ear what your prayer request is and I won't tell anybody. And I would go around these rooms and I would hear, I'm being molested. I live in a home where my dad's an alcoholic. We have drug addiction in our home. My parents aren't taking care of me. I'm being abused. How many know these are problems that we have to deal with? And how in the world can we address those problems unless we're faithful to show up? Faithful to have those conversations. Faithful to build youth ministries that are going to reach. Not only the, it's not just reaching the community. They're dying in our church. And we have a, in my opinion, we have a record low of interest in the churches to, to, to deal with these issues. How many agree with me? The church is just not that interested. And, and I'm not, I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about anybody personally or I'm just saying there's a general lack of action in the churches. There's just a lack of action in, in church. We've got to get 
motivated and we've got to get serious and we've got to start moving together and we got to quit not showing up. And I, that's what I want to talk about. The one person you see sometimes when you're studying people is there are some that are good workers in intervals. How many know that? Like they're exceptionally good workers, but it's in intervals. And so I know they're a good, this, this one frustrates me more. Some people are just not good workers, right? And you know they're not a good worker and you know there's a lot of work there to make them a hard worker, right? But there are some that are exceptionally good workers, but then something happens. And it's like they disappear or they stop for whatever reason or it's something emotional or whatever it is. And, 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 and can I tell you something? We got a lot more of that than we have of anything. And so I want to address, I want to address some of the things that stop us from being workers. Is it okay to talk about being workers in the kingdom? Because man, we need it. Boy, we need it. And, and we're coming into a time if we don't have it, uh, we're lost. You know, we're, we're not leading anymore. We're not taking ground anymore. We're losing ground. Uh, number one, those who are hard workers have a set of principles that they live by. They're non-negotiable. How I many know when you're a Marine, it's non-negotiable? It's not simplify sometimes, right? It's not like sometimes I'm ready, sometimes I'm faithful. It's always faithful no matter what. And it's a set of principles. I like the way Daniel said it. Daniel was like a 17-year-old kid. How many know that when he was abducted and taken captive by the Babylonians, he was just a teenager. And he goes into this kingdom and the best of the best uh, were taken from uh, the Jewish um, um captives that were taken by the Babylonians when Daniel became captive. See, when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, when they're thrown in the fiery furnace, those three Hebrew children, and Daniel's thrown in the, you know, Daniel is uh, going through everything he went through when he went into captivity. The Babylonians had overcame the nation and started to take captives into Babylon. Daniel found himself in a new culture with the threat of death to do what they're telling you to do. And Daniel, the Bible says, purposed in his heart that he would not bow down to the gods of the Babylonians. That he would stay faithful to God no matter what. And it says he purposed that in his heart. And how many know if you're going to be a person who God can use, and if we had a whole room, just this room, a high percentage of people that says whatever it takes to accomplish the mission, you can't imagine what we would do. You can't, and Chad, and you're like, Chad, isn't that what we have? And I'm telling you, it's just not. It's like we're halfway about church attendance. We're halfway about accomplishing the mission. We're halfway about seeing things done to completion. We're just halfway with it. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, we have to change that. And people that accomplish things and follow through have a set of uh, priorities. They have a commitment level to a set of um, principles, and it's non-negotiable. 
Like, I can tell you, it was non-negotiable for me that I am going to be always working to reach people for the gospel. It doesn't turn off. Okay, that is my number one goal in life, is to reach the lost. And you say, well, that's good because you're a pastor, you have to do that. It's never shut off in all these years. I stay up late at night thinking about how I can reach the lost, how I can build His kingdom, how I can uh, move the church. Toward, and this is even when I'm not a pastor. Okay, my whole life is geared toward every book in my library is not for my benefit. It's so how can I teach other people about the gospel? How can I tell other people about Christ? How can I change the way I do things? How can I change the way the people around me are doing things? What can we do? Um, in fact, the Bible puts it this way. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. Like God wants us to have a set of principles and a level of commitment that nothing else compares to it. Like nothing. In fact, Jesus even went as far as to say, even your family is not as big as that set of priorities and commitment level. And uh, in church, it's... But we've got to live by that set of principles. If we don't have that to begin with, uh, there's nothing as a church that we can do. How many know there's no plan or purpose that I can have that can change this church or this community if we don't have that set of principles? Everybody understand that? We have to have it as a church. We have to have it as individuals. The second thing, our motivation has to be by our, for our love for Christ and not your love for me or anybody else. Very important. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 12, he says, We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. But we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in what we're doing. So we can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in our hearts. If we are out of our mind, as some people say we are, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. It is for Christ's love that compels us. Because we are convinced that one person died for all, and therefore all have died. Did you hear that? He died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul's saying they think we're crazy. They think that we're out of our mind, and he goes, and I guess we are. He said, but I understand that one person died for all, so all now have died for him. And he said, so the love of Christ is what compels me. You say, well, why is that important? Because I can tell you right now that a lot of people don't support their church because they're not being compelled by the love of Christ. They're saying, well, you know what? I like this ministry or I like that ministry or I like what they're doing or I like what they're not doing or I don't like the way they treated me or I do like the way they treated me. How many know there's lots of motivations? And... Over the years, I've had a million reasons to stop. I've had a million reasons, um, and I'm just talking personally because I can't talk about anybody else's mind, but I've had a million reasons to say, why am I doing this? You know, my direct leadership treated me this way. 
or people treated me this way or the community treated me this way or uh, there have been times that man it was almost unbearable the attitudes of the people that were around me at church even direct leaders and but never at one point did I ever do it for them it's the love of Christ that compels us I mean compels a strong word It means Paul was drawn in by his love for Christ. Christ loved me so much that I don't do it for anybody else. Every day that I go to church, every day that I work, it's for Christ because he loved me and he forgave me and I didn't deserve it. And he gave me his grace and his love. And the moment I die, I'm going to be in his presence and my reward. And so at no point can I ever take my focus off. Christ compels me to do it. Because there are going to be periods of time you feel like quitting. There are periods of time you say, why am I doing this for my church? I mean, oh, there are times like that. I mean, there's one time when I was here. I'm actually being honest here. One time when I was here when I said to myself, why am I putting myself through this? And I thought about that for maybe five minutes. I'm actually being honest. I thought about it for five minutes said, why am I putting myself through this? You don't have to do this. You don't have to do it. And immediately the answer always is, he's worth it. He is absolutely worth it. I'll give, and you say, well, man, you gave everything you have for this. Do you regret it? No, I don't. I would actually do it again. If I had it all back tomorrow, I would do the same thing because of him. It's him compels me. It's him that, and, and, and a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You're compelled by the same, uh, love for Christ, but if it's anything but the love of Christ, it just won't allow you to work hard. And so, you know, some of you know what it feels like to wear yourself out in the work of Christ, lose a lot of things, and then the next morning when you get uh, five or six hours of sleep, you're like, here I am again, and you're ready to do it again because you love Him so much. And if it's anything besides that, if it's tradition... If it's, um, you know, motivation for yourself, there's just no way to do it, no way to accomplish it, no way to work hard enough. But if it's for Christ, man, your strength is renewed every day because, man, this is worth it. I mean, what he did for me is so worth it. I'm ready to get up the next day and do it again. And, And that's what motivates you to be a really hard worker is your love for Christ. Number three. In order to be a hard worker, and this is where the interval workers uh, get tripped up. Those are other areas, too. If you don't have the principles, you're motivated by selfish motives rather than Christ. But the third thing is, if you don't have a capacity for pain, the Bible has a word for it. It's called long-suffering. It's in juxtaposition. You can compare it to (laughs) short-suffering. Okay. All right. Long suffering means you have a great ability to suffer long. Um, short suffering means you have a great ability to suffer short. And the Bible doesn't talk about short suffering. It talks about long suffering. It means you can put up with things for a long time and you can deal with difficult people and circumstances. Colossians 3.12, Paul says... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the long-suffering, the patience. It's actually the word patience in some ver- or long-suffering in some versions. Ephesians 4.2 Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing one another in love. 2 Corinthians 6.36 We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as God's servant, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles and hardships, in distress, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. The reason why I bring this one up is um, you have to learn to suffer long with circumstances and with people. Eddie was talking about today. We have a pandemic right now, but tomorrow will be something totally different. And so what I see a lot of people do is they work hard and then they hit the stumbling block of whatever circumstances and whatever people. And uh, I'll tell you this, when I work long hours, I don't usually get grumpy. I usually get really playful. And I can be really annoying to be around. And I could be a stumbling block to a lot of people because I get slap happy. And I get really funny in my own mind, but really annoying to other people. (laughs) And how many know something that minor with the person you're working with can cause you to get mad, walk off and say, you know what, I'm done with this. And then you have to recover for a couple of months or maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of days. You guys know the timeline, right? But something gets you off track. It may be me. It may be another person in the, you know, body. It may be circumstances you're going through. But these are the things that stop us from doing the work of the Lord. How many know what I'm talking about? And so we have to be really careful to be long suffering. That means I have a high pain tolerance. How many here have a high pain tolerance? I mean, I have like a extreme physical pain tolerance. I have to really sit and evaluate what my emotional pain tolerance is. I don't know. I know physical pain I'm good with, you know, to the point it's almost scary. But physical or emotional pain tolerance, I don't know. I'd have to actually think about it. But how tolerant are you of people and circumstances? Are you able to do the Lord's work because you love Him and keep doing it even when you're frustrated? Like, there are times I've noticed over the years where things didn't make sense. Like, I'm doing all this for God. Why is my life experiencing this? How many have had that? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm doing all this for God. Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me because I'm doing all this for God. Now, how many know if you don't have long suffering, then you won't be able to work through that? You'll have a period of uselessness. You know, where I'm not going to do anything because things are going wrong and you put yourself on the shelf for a while. Well, guess what that does for the work of God? You're on the shelf. We can't do anything. You know, we're looking around for faithfulness and it's hard to find people that are there. You know, Um, sometimes it's circumstances, you know, sometimes if you um, things get hard, you say, well, you know what? I'm not doing anything for God in this period of time because things are hard. 
you know, and, and like I said, I can remember years and years and years. In fact, I, a lot of you don't know it, but until a couple months ago, I worked seven days a week, full-time, cleaning buildings at night. So I'd be up all night and then be here all day and do all everything all day long. And I've done that for 25 years. You know, every ministry job I ever had, I worked somewhere between, you know, 50 to 100 hours. But always made time for the work of the Lord, always made time for church, always made time to be there. Even if I had to move my schedule or quit jobs or whatever it was I had to do to be there for the Lord. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can order the things of the Lord around our important stuff. You know, rather than the other way around. You know, the work of the Lord is my priority and I don't want to stop doing it, you know. I don't want to be on the shelf for a while. And so we got to be really careful because that stops us from being a hard worker. It doesn't matter what took you away. You could be a hard worker, just the fact that you're gone, you know, that you disappeared. And so there are lots of things that cause that. And sometimes it's, you know, not being able to deal with rejection, you know, sometimes not able to deal with, you know, prideful issues, you know, like, you know, somebody said something. So how are you going to make them pay? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stand on the sideline and not do anything because I'm, I'm mad. So how many know these things are all, I'm just addressing things that stop us from being always faithful. Just imagine if a Marine did that. You say, well, I have every right because we're all volunteers at church, right? So we can stop when we want or start when we want. But what if you were a Marine and you said, you know what? I'm mad. So today it's not always faithful, simplified. Today it's partially faithful. I don't know what that Latin word is for partially faithful. No, partially fidelis. And uh, that's not in the cold. You know, and it's not in the cold when you're serving Christ where, you know, I've got a right to be mad or I've got a right to be emotional. I've got a right to, you know, quit. You know, we're every day showing up and saying, you know what, I'm changing the world today. And we can't stop that. In fact, the Bible says don't be um, weary in well-doing. Don't stop doing well. And see, you hear this and you think, I've got it figured out, but I don't. You know, I'm trying to always be faithful and I'm trying to always dig in and trying to fulfill God's call for this church and for myself and for the world at large. Um, number four. Uh, and, and very similar to long-suffering is just patience. Um, there's a lot of things in life... Um, I'll tell you one good example. Things in life that you just have to be patient, like construction. How many have ever been involved in construction? And at first, it's like just a mess. And you're like, man, it's just a frustrating mess. You know what I'm saying? And so you have to be patient. Because eventually that mess gets less and less, and things start to look orderly and start to look more orderly. And how many know in life... There's a lot of situations like that. And when things aren't looking the way we want it to look, we get impatient. And when we're impatient, sometimes we are not faithful. We're not always faithful, we're partially faithful. Because I'm frustrated and I'm impatient. And, and God, it doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. And, and um, in church, that's hard. Because we want everything in church to be done now. You know, we want all of our ministry things that we want to do in the community, we want done now. 
But if we're not patient, we can never accomplish anything. We can never see that mess that's in front of us transform into something great. And how many know that if we had 50 people committed to be faithful to something and it looked like a mess, if we started to lose people and the enemy picked them off because they were impatient, then we would never accomplish anything. And so we've got to be patient. We've got to work together. We've got to be unified. We've got to have a code of ethics that says, no matter what, we're going to accomplish these important things because we're simplified. We're always faithful and we're not going to give up and we're not going to get frustrated and we're not going to be impatient. Number five. In fact, I have a couple of scriptures on patience. Hebrews 12, wherefore... Seeing we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does easily hold us back or beset us. Let us with patience run the race that is set before us. How many know that work is in front of us that Christ has called us to? And let us with patience run that race, dig in, not be absent. Let's say, you know, I'm committed to this. We've got to accomplish these things for Christ. And let's accomplish the race that's set before us. How many know it's easy to take your eyes off the race and the thing that's set before us? It's so easy to do. In fact, uh, it says in Hebrews there, it's every weight or every sin that besets us. So how many have had weight on you before? The weight of the world or sins, you know, and that's all of us. So we've got to set it aside so we can run the race before us. James 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. Patience, when she has her perfect work, um, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. But in all things approving ourselves, Actually, this is 2 Corinthians. But in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in much affliction, in necessity, and in distress. Um, so God wants us to work through the patience. That's part of this process is not being impatient. And I knocked it over again. All right. Endurance. How many know there's a difference between a sprint and a uh, marathon? Um, sprints are nice. Because basically, you run 100 meters. Um, when you're young and you're in shape, it's just 100 meters. It's not that hard. Actually, when you get older, 100 meters is like an endurance race. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. But when you're young, it's just like 40-yard dash, run it. You're a little out of breath. But, you know, there's no real, um, no, no character issues are involved. Right? But when you run a marathon, how many know that, Character becomes a part of it. It's like your willingness to be in pain. Like during a sprint, you never uh, stop about halfway and say, am I willing to go through with this? You're not thinking about it, second guessing it or anything like that. But an endurance race, you can be after the second mile, the third mile, the fourth mile, and you can start saying, my legs are heavy. You know, I'm having a hard time breathing. And there's conversations you have. You don't have those conversations in a sprint, right? You don't have time. 
But in an endurance race, you have these conversations. And the Bible um, really talks a lot about endurance. It says, um, 2 Peter 3, 4, Therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that goes to war will entangle himself in the affairs of this world, that he may please uh, he who has chosen him as a soldier. Think about that. It says we need to endure like a soldier. Semper Fi, right? No soldier gets in the middle of a battle and stops in the middle of the battle and says, you know what, am I really Semper Fi? I mean, have I been fooling myself here? No, they go into the battle and say to themselves, this is what I was chosen for. You know, this is what I was called to. Can you imagine what it would be to be 19 or 20 years old and, you know, be storming the beach of Normandy? I mean, can you imagine what goes through the mind? Isn't it odd that we send 18, 19, 20-year-olds off to that type of a war? Imagine jumping out of a plane into a dark sky in World War II, parachuting down into the dark into who knows where. You're just trusting them that they're dropping you somewhere, and you've got a decent idea what the mission is. Um, those aren't the times where you say to yourself, am I really always faithful? <laughs> You just say to yourself, this is what I was called to do, and you pretty well have acknowledged that your life is over. How many know that? And that's what Christ is actually asking us to do. That's why he says, be like a soldier. You know, don't get in the middle of this thing and stop and say, you know what? Am I in or am I out? And, and can I tell you something? I think a lot of the church is that way. They're halfway like, am I in or am, or am, I, am I out? You know, let's be all in. Let's say, you know what? I've died to myself, and I'm all in with this thing. And uh, let's give everything we have to be always faithful and always ready and always willing to see the mission accomplished. And, and church, we've got some, we got a strong mission. You know, when we see the world around us falling apart, our mission is strong. And we've got to pull together because we can't accomplish it without each other. We can't accomplish it with, you know, what would you do if you were, uh, you know, all specially trained in a battle and you look over and you're, you know, and you have a gunner over here and he's supposed to give you cover. And you look over and he's like, I'm second guessing this whole thing. And you're like, you're supposed to cover me, okay? <laughs> like here I am giving my life and you're questioning whether you're in or you're out, you know. And, uh, and that's how hard it is when we're doing the work of Christ. If we're not all in, then we're not giving each other cover and we're not, you know, we've all got to have cover to do our mission. We've all got to accomplish the mission that Christ has called us for. And then one day we can be like Paul. You know, actually Paul got kind of upset. You know, at one point he was saying, you know, Demas has forsaken me. You know, having loved this present world. You know, and he's looking around and Demas is gone. You know, Mark, it took Paul years. I don't know if you know this, but Mark went on his first missionary journey. And when they went to the rugged mountain range... Um, where Paul had actually grown up around, and Paul was pretty rugged, you know. They went up to that mountain range for that first missionary journey, and Mark had never been away from home. You know, Mark was really soft. And so he abandoned them and went back home. 
And uh, Paul didn't forget that for many years, and for a long time, Paul couldn't get over it. In fact, Barnabas had to take Mark and take him with him because Paul didn't even want Mark on the trip until later. And then Mark and he met again right before Paul was executed, and he made up with Mark. You know, and they, you know, loved each other and cared for each other. But for a long time, Paul was upset because Mark abandoned him, you know. And, um, and, and when you're in the Marines, it doesn't matter whether you like the people that are around you. You know that we're all dependent on each other. And we all have to stay at our post and we all have to do what God's called us to do. And, uh, how many times have we seen people stand up in the church and people abandon them? They just step back and say, you know what, you know, let them fail. And uh, boy, we can't do that. We've got to man our post. Second Timothy 4, 5 says, But watch yourself in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Um, make your ministry foolproof. First Peter 2, 19 says, For if anybody endures the pain of unjust suffering... Because he is conscious of God, this is to be commended. So Paul is saying, endure even unjust suffering. You know, it's commendable. The last thing, and I'll close with this. Steadfastness. This means a fixed, established, constant, and resolute. It's what you're made of. It means you're not fickle and you're not wavering. How many know that the church sometimes wavers and is fickle? You know, and it's like, you know what? Here's one way that the church is fickle. If it's not exciting where I'm at, I'll go where it's exciting. You know, if we go through a little bit of trouble, then I'm not staying. I'm going where it's going well. And then guess what happens when it's not going well there? Then I'm going to the next one because it's exciting. You know, or I would love to be a part of a ministry. You know, I would like to see youth ministry. I'd like to see children's ministry. So where do they go? Where there's youth ministry or where there's children's ministry or where there's women's ministry or where there's men's ministry. What do they not do? Start one. (laughs) Okay. So we have places all over. Where there, in fact, I'll be just giving an example. Everywhere that I've went, where there wasn't something, I started it. I've started several ranger programs for boys. I've been youth pastor of several groups. I've been men's ministry director in several places. You know, so where you're at, you know, that's part of that fickleness is, you know, I want to go where it's already built rather than be the one to build it. You know, and so we've got to be able to stand resolute and say, you know what, me, and I want to inspire this kind of dedication in other people, let's build it. You know, let's do it. Let's not walk away from it. Let's not blame somebody else that it's not there or it's not good. Let's say, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to build it? And I'm, I hope I'm not being mean. I, I wish on sermons like this I could just... Preach like this. Because you know what happens, and it's really weird. Everybody swears I'm looking at them. But see, I've got to look somewhere. I can't just do this. And literally, I don't go into a service. Like when you're speaking, sometimes it's easier to speak when you make eye contact. 
like when it feels like you're talking to one person, it's easier to preach. And so, boy, when I latch my eyes on one person, they're like, he's talking to me. He looked at me and focused his eyes on me. But I do. I'll go over here. I'll focus on your eyes. I'll focus on your eyes. And honestly, I'm not preaching this to any one person. It's just all of us need to have these qualities that simplify. Um, the Marines, there's not almost a higher um, work that anybody's doing in the world than protecting our nation and giving your life for your nation. But what we're doing here actually may be more important than what they're doing. You, you, um, you know, if we don't do our job, um, people may lose their life if they don't. People may lose their eternity if we don't. And so it's not either we accomplish it or we don't. It's how well do we accomplish it? You know, do we win a few or do we win many or do we win none? You know, and that's what we're up against. And so we've got to be always faithful and always simplify and always like, it's easier as a leader to look around and say, you know what? They're here and they're ready and they're willing to work. <laughs> and when we do that and everybody is thinking, man, what can I do? to accomplish this problem. You know, this thing that we've cited as an issue, what can I do to jump in and be a part of the solution? And they're not easy solutions. I wish I had all the answers. But I'll tell you one thing, if we get an answer together and we all jump in to accomplish it, we'll actually get it done. But if we have people backing away and saying, I'm halfway committed, there's no way we can do it. Stand your feet. All right. I'm going to leave the altar open. And as always, um, anybody who needs prayer, we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to make a spectacle out of it. If you need prayer for uh, maybe it's healing, you know, God asks that we lay hands on those who are sick and pray um, uh, pray for their healing. We believe in healing here. Um, if you've never given your heart to the Lord and you said, man, you know what? I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be a part of that solution. I'm here to pray with you and lead you in that life. Um, if you're backslidden, I want to pray with you. You know, if you're going through something in life and struggling, I want to pray with you. Or just find a place alone up here to pray. That's what we're here for. Hallelujah. Possibly what we're doing here is more important than what the military is doing. And I will tell you that it's 100% more important what the military is doing. And I'm saying that as a former soldier. John would agree with me. John's been to war. He's been a soldier also. And we've talked about it. There's nothing more important than souls being saved. We can fight for this nation. We can do everything possible to save lives here on this earth. And if their souls are lost, it's for nothing. It's all in vain. And some of you guys, you don't know where you belong. Sometimes you feel lonely. Sometimes you're like, I wish I was part of something, but I feel like I'm on the outside. And I'm going to tell you it's because you're not plugged in. Not because you're, it's because you're not all in. And 
And the greatest relationships you'll ever have are the ones you go into battle with. The greatest relationships. I have people I was in the army with. I have good relationships with today. We still talk. I know John will tell you the same. But I'm going to also tell you there's no better relationships than the ones I've built right here. Right? I know that if I go through anything and I call Mike Harris, he has my back. And he knows I have his back. You're like, well, you guys have done a lot together over 10, 12, 13 years. And that's true. I've known Pastor Chad four and a half years and it took us about two days to make that kind of relationship because we stepped into battle together. And it's a bond that won't ever break. And whenever you're going through life and you feel like you're alone, it's because you haven't went all in. You step all in and you start serving the Lord as a soldier of the Lord, and I don't mean like he was saying. I don't mean like I'm going to try to get there every so often. That's not a soldier. That's a National Guard person. And I don't have a problem with the National Guard, but they don't have the bonds that soldiers have, that actually 100% fully devoted soldiers have. And if you were in the National Guard, I, I may offend you, but I don't really care. There's a difference in whenever you're fully serving than whenever you're, full, you're serving part-time. Just like part-time work. If you're in a job and they have part-time workers come in, you look at them different than you do full-time workers. Because those there who are there full-time are fully invested. We can no longer do part-time. We can no longer just come in and plug in here and there. You will die. You will not make it. in just like Pastor Chad said and that was a harsh message starting out and he got a little calmer at the end and he made us feel a little bit more loved but I like the first part better than the second part because sometimes we just need that kick in our pants you're not all in you need to get there right I don't know where Stacy George is but I remember when Stacy George came to this church first thing she did was went all in and it took her probably about two weeks for her and I to be serving the Lord together anywhere I was going I knew I had she had my back right so it ain't just guys we need everybody we need everybody all in and the moment you make that decision I promise you it will take you about a week or two to feel like wow this is a family I feel like somebody has my back but we can't make you feel that way until you go all in. It takes that. So I'm going to close some prayer. And I'm going to let the worship team rest. They can put music on. But if you need prayer, we will pray for you. If you need to figure out how can I get all in, talk to me. Talk to Pastor Chad. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you somebody who will help you get all in right now. Talk to Randy and Vicki. They need some people who will come in and serve with them. We have places for you to serve right here, but we want you all in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the message Pastor Chad spoke for. I thank you, God, that you've asked us to be a part of your army, Lord. To serve you. To fight for you, Lord. To fight for souls. Lord, we don't want to just see people come in, Lord. We want to see people saved. We want to see souls saved, Lord. We want to be 
part of what you're doing, Lord. We want to run the good race, Lord. We want to fight that fight, Lord. We want the moment that we die, God, that that be the time we rest. And we'll rest in you, Lord. Let us be all in for you, Lord. Let us be fully devoted to you, Lord. Anything that is holding us back, Lord, even myself, Lord, whatever it is that would keep me from being right where you need me to be, Lord. I pray you show me that. Show everybody in here that, God. And as we go forward, Lord, we want to fight as one and we'll be fully devoted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.